Welcome back, everybody, again. You've got it. This is the Fat Paramotor Podcast, and I'm back again. I'm your host, the Fat Paramotor Guy, more commonly known as Sean. And once again, we've got in the studio, we've got that whippersnapper back with us again. You know the one? They call him Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, YouTube sensation, back in the studio. How are you doing, mate? <laughs> I wouldn't go as far as say YouTube sensation, but we're getting there. It's a long road, but we're <laughs> <Sorry>. getting somewhere. <laughs> I'm all right, mate. How are you? All right, all good. Well, brilliant. <laughs> well, today we're bringing you another podcast. This is number two, eh? And, and we're going to be talking about buying a paramotor today. That's something that uh, neither of us are very good at, apparently. But we're going to try and give you our pearls of wisdom, yeah? So, sounds good to me, mate. <laughs> right then. So well, let's crack into this then. And uh, uh, I want to hear from you, mate. What's um, What do you think the uh, the most important considerations are then when buying a paramotor? Get training first. Oh, we covered that last week. We we did. And for whoever hasn't listened to that yet, so definitely go back and have a listen. Oh, that's a great plug. Plug the first <laughs> one. Yeah, definitely. So in terms of getting training first i see it all the time on the facebook forums people are like oh yeah what gear do i need straight off the bat and you you get two sets of people some will give you good advice um on what you should buy but realistically people should get that training first and then go from there yeah absolutely i mean i think one of the most important things is uh is get that instructor advice because i think we picked we picked up on that last time didn't we your instructor is going to know what suits you you best uh, so I guess if you're new to uh, you're new to paramotoring, I'd, I'd really or we'd really recommend speak to that instructor and and see what he or she has to say. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if it's your first paramotor, there's there's going to be a lot of things to consider um, at that that potential time. You know, you don't necessarily know what your flying style is at that point. Um, you probably haven't seen very many brands in person. And you may may not even know many brands at that point. So, uh, yeah, your instructor's advice is probably best heeded uh, for your first purchase. So I think that ties in with what we spoke about last week. You know, uh, you did mention, uh, you know, Chile, who is your instructor. And of course, um, it's always the number one is always take your instructor's advice. You know, whether you buy their gear or not, sometimes an instructor will try to sell you the gear that they represent. And, and why shouldn't they? Um but if they don't, it's it's well worthwhile taking their advice um, on maybe some second-hand equipment that you want to buy for, from elsewhere. But that would bring me into, you know, what would you do? What what, what do you think is the, the best thing to do? Buy brand new, something like your instructor, which can set you back a few quid. I think a bulldog's about £5,000, isn't it? Uh, it's the price of a small family car. Or what about buying secondhand? What's the what's the pros and cons? Do you think, Daniel, of buying a secondhand paramotor? Uh, well, if you buy brand new, you know exactly what you're getting. Um, you've got it from the manufacturer. It's brand new. Every time you run that machine, you know exactly what has happened to it in the past. Um, so there is there is huge weight in in paying that that premium for a brand new paramotor. Paramotors do hold their money relatively well um, if if they're if they're looked after. The other the flip side of it is that if you do buy secondhand, you need to really take your time to look into the history of that motor and and the seller themselves. And you know, like myself, if I've got YouTube videos out there, you can see what I've done with my paramotor, uh, all the rebuilds and stuff. Not everyone's going to do that, so you can't physically see that, but like um having a flight log to look at and stuff like that and in the taco 
you should be able to see what hours that machine has done. And if you have someone with you that can look over that machine and say that those hours match up to how it physically looks and, and how it runs, that's a good indicator that actually that machine's pretty solid. There are benefits to, to brand new. I like to buy brand new when you can, but of course that's expensive. Uh, not everybody can afford to buy a brand new paramotor. Uh, and especially when you're first getting into the sport, because you never know, you, you you might not last in the sport. You might you might get bored and go into something else, and people do do that. So it's quite an investment. If you think the average paramotor is five to six thousand pounds, and and you can pay even more for some of them, and then a wing's going to be uh, three to four thousand pounds as well. You know, you, and and all the the extra bits and pieces, you're well and truly getting into a ten thousand pound investment for a brand new paramotor. And as I said, you know, that's the price of a car. You could buy a car for £10,000. Uh, it's not as much fun, you know, but, but but you can do. And you're absolutely right. The resale value is good. That's fine. But the initial outlay for a lot of people would find £10,000 quite a challenge, which is why I think people, you know, will look to the second-hand market a lot, uh, but trying to get something... Uh, that is in reasonable order. And I think I would always be reassured by somebody who uh, has a paramotor that they've got for sale and then they've gone on and bought another one, you know, and uh, or buying one from somebody who you know or somebody knows and they've flown it for a while. One of the questions I always ask when I buy a car is how long have you owned it? Because if somebody's only owned something for six months, there's something wrong, isn't there? Or they're, they're dealing and trying to make money. If somebody turns around and said, I've owned this paramotor for three years and now I've bought it to upgrade uh, to a new one or, or something else, to my mind, you'd be more reassured. But I guess that's normal buying sense and buying etiquette that, that most people probably listening on this podcast have already acquired over the years. You'd like to hope so, but, you know, paramotor is yeah, it's a, it's a fun hobby or sport, however you see it. And uh, I think the, the trap that people also fall into is they want, even if they're just going for their training, they want something to show for that. I definitely fell into that trap and I definitely bought a piece of rubbish. So, yeah, there, there is a degree of um, uh, buyer sensibility, but uh, I, I know from personal experience that can go out the window quite quickly. Well, I think it was lucky and unlucky when I bought mine. I think we covered in the last podcast that I bought completely the wrong paramotor for me, but... Uh, I can say that the paramotor I bought was extremely well looked after and was in great condition. Um, the previous owner had looked after it well. And on top of that, he was quite keen uh, to hear my journey afterwards. So he didn't just sell me the paramotor and then take my money and disappear. He kept in contact saying, hey, how are you doing? Have you flown it? And and what do you think and things? And I think that was, that was really nice. Um, I quite like that. But I guess the second-hand paramotor market can be as you know, as bad as the second-hand car market, you, you do have to be careful. My friend bought, it's at my house, he actually lives in Canada, so he came to stay with me for about three months when I was living in Spain. And when he was in Spain, uh, he kind of got captured by the whole paramotor thing and went out and bought himself a trike. Uh, it was a PAP, was it P-A-P, PAP? Yeah, and he, PAP, yeah. And he bought that from one of the, the, the local Spaniards uh, that was out there. Um, and you know, it, it looked on the, from the outside, like 
you know, when it was brand new, it was probably quite an expensive and nice piece of gear because it came with the stainless steel trike and it got a wing and it got a trailer and everything like that for, for towing it around with. Um, it looked a little bit dusty, though, and filthy, but that's Spain. You know, Spain's, um, it's the only desert in Europe. You know, it's a very dusty place, you know, the sand everywhere. and um, So he didn't pay that too much mind, neither. Uh, but when he so he bought this thing, and then never really flew it, went back to Canada and left it with me and said, hey, he said, if you can get it all cleaned up and flying and stuff, when I come back next time, we'll, we'll go flying, uh, you know, we'll, we'll both go flying it. So I decided to start stripping this paramotor down. I've not covered it on any vlogs and stuff. I thought I'd, I've got enough with what I'm doing with the Nirvana. Uh, but I stripped this thing down and, oh, my God, it was held together with tie wraps. And now, tie wraps are, can be really strong, but seriously, it was held together with tie wraps. And there was two brakes in the frame, in the paramotor frame, uh, that you couldn't see. They were hidden behind the seat. Uh, fairly significant brakes. The, the only thing that was holding... Um, the engine and the uh, trike, which is connected to the engine, to the harness was tie wraps. They are quite strong things, though, tie wraps, I'll be honest with you, but still. <laughs> so I don't think that was very wise buying, but that's Spain. You know, whenever you go in Spain, you've had uh, two bottles of Sol <laughs> and you've been intoxicated by the sunshine and uh, you, you'll buy anything when you're in Spain. But, you know, you, you have to be careful, I think, in, in the secondhand market. Uh, and, and I would reiterate, buy from somebody that you know because it's difficult to rip people off in a small community when you you value your place within that community. Yeah, it's uh, like you say, it's a very small community and you upset one person and pretty much everyone knows about it instantly. It's within your, that person's interest to do right by you and everyone else. And I think it's great that uh, the seller of your paramotor kept in touch. I think that's really nice. And it just goes to show that there are people out there that, that, that are in it for the sport and be in such a small community that, that does have a price tag to, to enter, which is, is quite expensive. Yes. Um, you know, that, that's the people you want in the sport. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, if Fritz Newman, if you're out there, Fritz, hello, mate. Thank you for the... Uh, uh, for selling me the Nirvana, I think, I think, thank you. Thank you for looking after it before you sold it me. But, uh, but yeah, Fritz, but yeah, that's one of the things I, I do like about the paramotor community. Uh, in the majority, you know, people tend to be very supportive and it is a good bunch of people. So that's why I, I think, you know, buy from somebody within that community who is known because uh, you're more likely to get an, an, an honest buy. There are lots of considerations though in in different paramotors to buy. So even if you buy secondhand, not all paramotors are the same. And they come in a variety of uh, of sizes and weights and things like that. Even the harness size, you know, this is something that I struggled with. Um, harnesses come in different sizes. Mine uh, came with a, a large harness on it, which was too small. So I had to get a double XL harness or something like that. Uh, and despite that, despite having a very large harness, I still have issues trying to fasten the uh, the front of the harness um, because I'm quite portly at the front. I have managed to figure out a way of getting over that by extending the harness, but but still. It, was that a consideration when you bought a paramotor? Did you think about the harness size at all? The, the first paramotor that I bought, um, I'm talking about the one that I actually fly now, um, was the same one that I'd learned to fly with, so um, being the bulldog, 
I I knew from that point that I would have a harness that fits because they're really adjustable. You know, it's a one size fits all. Um, but talking about harnesses, you you want something that's comfortable in the air. If you're going to be up there for like half an hour, an hour, you don't want to be things poking into you or just uncomfortable because it it totally ruins the experience. No, you're absolutely right. I think a comfortable harness um is important. Uh, so that makes me think, uh, you know, hanging in the paramotor before you buy it, definitely go to somebody who has the ability to be able to hang you in it uh, and hang in it and see how it is. One of the things you need to be able to do is get in and out of the harness easily. And that was the issue that I had when I actually put on my first harness, put the paramotor on with the large harness, felt comfortable hanging in it. And I remember uh, Matt saying to me, you know, um, how's that fit? And I said, yeah, it feels great. feels really comfortable. Um, no problem at all. It's nice and snug. And he said to me, um, right, he says, great. He says, that looks great. He says, right. He says, now, uh, he says, now step out of the harness, you know? And I said, yeah. And I couldn't get out of it. So I'd actually, you know, by, by being hung in it, I realized that I was sat in it quite comfortably, but as soon as I tried to get out of the harness, I couldn't. Um, I was actually in such a strange position. I could have never have landed a paramotor like that. I could barely get my arse out of the harness. So I think that's a pearl of wisdom for me is hanging the paramotor. Uh, have somewhere where you can hang in this and, and make sure that it fits okay. Uh, that's that's also the problem half the time, you know, and it's a similar situation if you're buying a new wing from someone that uh, until you've had your, your training and you know how to fly, you might not be able to, a test flight this equipment or know how to do yourself a hang test and actually have somewhere to hang is also a, a, another issue i suppose isn't it that um you know you could go to a local park if you if if they've got a set of swings take take a set of uh strops with you f- for tie downs and stuff like that and you could probably hang test that way but shy of that it's, it's still quite a hard thing to do unless you're buying from like say your your t- trainer or, or a dealer or someone who sort of regularly um, handles these things and has that set up. Yeah, that's right. And I guess that's one of those things that pushes you towards a dealer or sometimes, you know, you can buy from somebody who's not a dealer but kind of veer your dealer in a, in a way and the dealer doesn't always take a profit out of it. Uh, but you're right, you know, hanging in it's not easy. But would you let somebody test fly your paramotor? I mean... Let's be honest, Daniel. If if I said, you know what, Daniel, I'm I'm uh, I'm thinking about buying your bulldog with the atom. Um, I'm going to have a little test fly in it. What would you say? You, you break it, you buy it. <laughs> that means I've bought it. Then let's be honest. <laughs> I I it it entirely depends on like you know, uh, someone's experience. If you if you know them or they can prove to you their their hours. Um, for example, then you might feel more comfortable with letting them, them test fly your, your equipment that you're selling. Um, but, you know, lo- low airtime pilots, you'd probably be, probably be aware, aware of them and their, their situation um, because they might be flying a totally different machine. So, for example, if I was to test fly, for example, a, like a, a Paranjet Maverick, that's got a totally different arm set to what my paramotor has. It's going to be a bit of a different experience, but seeing as I've flown for about a year and a half, I probably have enough experience to to deal with that situation. Whereas someone who's in their first year or, you know, first half a year might struggle with that a bit more. So I suppose it depends on 
on level of skills there, really. Mm. I think I'd be I'd be quite nervous, you know, and and unless I was really talking to somebody uh, who was high up there in experience, I think I'd kind of be quite nervous because um, if he flew it broke it and killed himself, he's not going to pay you for your paramotor, is he? So I'm taking no chances. That. Yeah, fair enough. You, know, you, you, you might get into that position as well where he breaks it and blames your paramotor and you know refuses to pay in things. I. I think I think uh, dicey grounds, but that's just me. Call me the uh, uh, the skeptic and things. But you mentioned though they are varied. Different paramotors are a varied fit, and of course you've got the low and the high hang point paramotors as well. Uh, I know your bulldog is is low hang hang point. Uh, mine's a higher hang point. You know it, it's it's. I, I know it's not as high as uh, some of the very old ones that you used to have the arms that were above your head, but. Mine hang the hang point on mine is kind of around about where the shoulder is, where the hang point of yours, um, you know, is is kind of uh, yeah, sort of abdomen way, isn't it? Just underneath the chest and things. Um, the bulldog is actually sort of the same height as yours with the with the webbing straps. Oh, it is, is it? So it it kind of goes yeah. up, so it's a little bit high. So that's interesting. So some of the others are they're lower. The hang point is at the arms, and I know the pap. Uh, you know, there's literally a clip right where the the arm is, whereas mine's got sort of webbing strap, you know, that, that comes up higher with the hang point on it. But that is a consideration, isn't it? You know, people might not realise that there's different hang points. They have slightly different uh, dynamics in the air. I'm not 100% sure of these because I'm no expert at all, but I understand that lower the, the lower the hang point, the easier it is to weight shift. Uh, the higher the hang point... Um, um, the easier it is to fly in turbulent air, but you don't get the same feel and you don't get the same weight shift manoeuvrability. Not 100% sure of that, Daniel, but there are differences. That's the main key between high and low hang point. And I guess, you know, uh, somebody, you're probably going to need an expert pointer in which direction to go with that. Yeah, and it's also your, your own experience as well. Um, you know, pilots might not know what their their flying style is if they're sort of low hours. I think I sort of discovered mine about thirty hours into my flying that actually I quite enjoyed XC. So like the the mid to high hang point on the bulldog was was absolutely perfect for that. Like you say, it swallows turbulence really nicely. Uh, and now that I'm going into competitions as well, where it's a lot of navigation tasks, you want your concentration to be on that rather than worrying about being bumped around and stuff on uh, in turbulence, which you might get more with uh, the lower hang points. So they are more responsive, but you do get that that more weight shift and, and better for um, maneuvers. So like harder turns and stuff, you can lean into that turn and uh, there is benefits of of, of both yeah definitely there was also something i i figured out as well with the hang points and they didn't know this and it's, it's worth people knowing um you need to check the manual of your wing when you get it because the brake lengths on your wing change depending on where the hang point is and my wing for example which is the um uh, ozone roadster 2 uh is set for a low hang point uh, low hang point paramotor and because mine hangs higher I actually had to adjust the brake length position to get the right kind of brake action and things like that and and again it's one of those things that I guess people people don't know when they're going out and buying a, 
buying equipment. When you've used the equipment of your instructor, it's all set up for you quite nicely. But when you buy your own equipment, you've got these considerations. Yeah, and you need to make sure those things are, are set before you, you go out flying. It's it's very easy for someone, and I've had this offered to me at a flying before. Someone's offered me to fly fly their wing. Um, but being on, on the bulldog, being a sort of a mid to high hang point, a lot of other people are actually on that lower hang point. And if I'd have flown that wing, I've got short arms already and those brakes would have been sky high. I probably wouldn't have been able to reach them more. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, it's if by the time you've got them, you're, if you were to pull the same degree of brake, yes. say to sort of like your ears, that would might potentially be stall point on that wing and you'd been in sort of a whole heap of trouble. Yeah, that's right. I had that little bit with, with mine because when you look at one of the videos where I actually stuffed in the prop uh, by stalling the wing behind me, uh, I basically pulled far too hard on the brake um, because I was pulling the same amount of degree on the brake that I would have done when I was flying my instructor's paramotor uh, that had a low hang point. Uh, and now I'd got this high hang point, uh, you know, which meant the brakes were higher up in the air. So when I pulled the brakes down to my waist, which is kind of where I'd pull them on the paramotor that I learned to fly in, it just completely stalled the wing. That was one of the reasons. I mean, there was lots of pilot error, if anybody's seen the the video. But it's one of the contributing factors to stalling one side of the wing, which made the wing fall back into the power zone and drag the lines through uh, through my cage, snap my cage and uh, and smashed the prop. It's lucky you weren't really airborne when, when that happened as well, mate, because, you know, that could have potentially been... The the end, you know, it's, it's, it's quite dangerous, the sport, really. And uh, it's things like that that your instructor will help you with as well, you know, when you're first getting into paramotoring. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, that would make me think as well that anybody, and I, I need to make sure that I take my own advice here. I think that anybody, when they get new equipment or equipment that they're not experienced on, that when you first go and fly it or when you first fly it when you've not flown for a while, you really should be in the company of people with a lot more experience than you, um, people who understand these things already. Uh, th- that, that's what I kind of feel. But, you know, and I'm, I'm not one of those people who feels as though he has to have somebody show him how to do everything. But you're absolutely right. The, this sport can be dangerous. I think it can be safe if you fly safely uh, and you think about these things, but it also can be extraordinarily dangerous and it can go from being fun uh, to something quite tragic in a matter of seconds. It never ceases to amaze me how quickly uh, everything seems to go wrong. Yeah, it's it's worrying when things go wrong. Um, we've all seen videos online of people making mistakes and, uh, and most of the time they they think they're doing the right thing. And then it's something else that that causes that. And uh, I think you can use the Swiss cheese model there. There's a few things that happen in sequence to make things go wrong. And it's the last thing that actually happens that then actually causes that that incident. Yes. What about power then? I mean, that's something, you know, that I've had to consider. I have to consider power uh, being heavy. Uh, I was, I think, at my heaviest when I was paramotoring, 151 kilograms. Uh, I'm actually about 134 now. That's something I think some of my YouTube subscribers will be looking forward to seeing when the new season comes. But still, even even at that weight, 
power uh, is important for me because I need the power, you know, so to be able to get <laughs> to get this fat carcass off the ground in the first place and things. Uh, power can also be a dangerous thing, you know, because I know that that, that people uh, flying a paramotor that's too powerful for them can can get into trouble and stall the wing. Uh, quickly by pitching the angle up too hard, you know, when um, when they first squirt the power on and stuff. So I think power is an important consideration. I don't quite know whether it's like a sports car or not, but uh, you can have too much power, I think. Do you th- did, would you agree with that? I think you're right in saying that you can have too much power. If I was to fly a, a Polini uh, Thor, I think they're the 202s now, the newest model is. That's a whole lot of power. You know, um, I fly a 27 meter wing for the economy, for competition. Um, and I also fly an Atom 80, but I weigh 63 kg. If I was to f- fly the Polini, which probably throws out, I, I guess, about three three times the amount of power, I'll either get into a position where I'm going to stall my wing or I'm going to uh, spin underneath it um, unless I can control that, that, that amount of power. Yeah, so you can have too much power, um, but there's there's other considerations that come with it as well. Usually, more power means more weight. Uh, also, if you're if you're looking at economy, a bigger engine might provide you with a better economy if it's working uh, not as hard as as say like a, a smaller motor. Um, so yeah, that, that that's other things that come with power. Yes, and you're absolutely right. With power comes more weight. Um, this is one of the things I haven't been able to avoid because I do need the the power. Uh, like I said, because I'm a big guy, I have to have a big wing. Um, and if I don't have a certain amount of power, there's no climb rate at all. And uh, the tops of the trees whip the ankles quite severely around here. <laughs> uh, but with more power comes more weight. And uh, this is also an issue. This is an issue for me because my paramotor weighs 32 kilograms without fuel in it. I know there are others such as the uh, the air conception paramotors that only weigh 20 kilograms. Um, and they do they actually develop quite a bit of power themselves. But but weight is, um, is, is quite an issue, uh, especially when you're carrying a fair amount of weight yourself. You know, I've got to drag my heavy carcass across the ground and also uh, drag a a heavy paramotor, but what's your thoughts on weight then? Because you can buy quite like paramotors, like the air conception. All all paramotors will weigh a bit more once they have got fuel in, like like you say. Um, you know, the air conceptions, uh, I, uh, you know, they're great. Uh, having a technology that's getting lighter and lighter like that is, uh, you know, it's, it's benefiting, you know, people who don't want to lift those heavy old paramotors anymore and things are starting to get lighter and hopefully it's paving the way to make the sport more accessible for people as well. The guys at Aviator in Florida and the United States, they used to represent Air Conception. I don't think they do anymore. I think they've gone on to, uh, to a different brand. But um, I can remember when they first represented them making the claim that since they'd started using the air conception because it was so light, um, they they hadn't had any, had any broken props uh, because the students found it easier to stay on their feet. And I guess that's an issue. It's not just the taking off. I always think about the taking off uh, because that's always the issue for me, um, getting my, myself off the ground in the first place. But also landing, you know, you're landing with a bit of weight. If you come down a little bit heavier, 
than you'd like, uh, an extra 10 kilograms could, you know, makes a big difference to whether you stay on your feet or whether you go down to your needs, perhaps. Yeah, that's that is true. Um, you know, ten kg is 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 quite a lot. Yeah, unless like the geometry of the the paramotor is set up quite nicely for it to be, the weight to be distributed quite close to your back, that can make a massive difference in making a heavier paramotor feel a bit lighter. You could also mitigate some of that weight potentially by going a next wing size up. Uh, and you see a lot of students on slightly bigger wings, obviously still in in the weight range for that wing. But it does allow for a bit more benign handling, but also that softer landing. So they're not having to uh, run out a quick landing like they might be, say, for example, someone who's coming in from a slalom um, course who's flying like a 16 meter. You know, they're, they're going to have to run that out and handle all that weight they've got. I know when I learned to fly, I think they, they had me on a on a bigger wing uh, and yeah, I used to touch down so gently. Um when I last flew the Roadster, which is a while ago now, I came in like a, um, you know, I came in like an F-16, I think. Um, <laughs> it took me by surprise a little bit because the other one, you drop out the sky, you know, like a bag of sweets. And uh, I don't know why I said a bag of sweets. When does a bag of sweets drop out of the sky? <laughs> <laughs> who, who comes up with stupid things like that? But uh, uh, but I touched down so softly with the uh, with the roadster, and it, it's my weight. I I came in blitteringly fast. It did take me by surprise, but um, yeah. So weight, and, and that always makes me think about uh, you know people who fly four stroke paramotors. Uh, I know that Paranu didn't he? He had one for a while. I can't remember the the brand of it now. I think he's, he sold it, hasn't he? But uh, if we're a lot more weight for the power. Um, when you have a, a four-stroke, but there are some advantages. Do you think? Uh, yeah, for you know, weight weight to power um, favors the two-stroke world. They're they're a lot lighter, um, but for four-strokes, you know, you've got that longer interval of uh, maintenance. So yes. if you don't want to maintain a two-stroke, <laughs> then go for a four-stroke. Um, I know that the the Quattro from EOS, which has been in development, well, I think it's like five to seven years now, something like that, but mm. Um, I know that that Paranoob tested that out, um, and they're quite impressed by the amount of power they're getting out of it. Actually, wow. um, similar similar to a Monster, but burns two liters an hour. I think wow. anyone would be chomping at the bit to get a motor like that. Yes, yes. And I remember us chatting uh, before about four strokes and saying that actually, if you sit down and do the calculations, you might get the extra weight in a four stroke because it's a it's a heavier motor. But you need less fuel, so it balances out. Yeah, true. You'd you'd probably end up fuel weighs point seven four of a kg. You'd probably end up with a similar amount of of weight, given that you're flying the same amount of time, but requiring less fuel. So it reminds me that I can remember when I was a kid, we used to the Honda C fifties and the C nineties used to have a four stroke engine in it, and I know that uh, paramotors. Um, initially started off, didn't they, with scooter engines and things. The Honda C90, by the way, being a scooter. Um, but that was a, a four-stroke scooter. I wonder if uh, I wonder if there's any paramotors with the Honda C90 engine in. Uh, I digress, mate. You'll probably not know. It's before your time. You know, this is uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is when bikes were bikes. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, uh, four stroke, that's good. Uh, weight's an issue, but I guess weight's not an issue uh, when it comes to things like trikes. Now, this is something that we've not mentioned. You know, we 
uh, you know, whether people, Puritans think a paramotor is just uh, a butt fan, you know, that you, that you stick on your back, or, or whether you include trikes in that definition, which I do, because uh, my paramotor is is both. It, it it's a transformer. It transforms from a paramotor to a to a trike. But trikes is a consideration, and there are reasons and justifications for having a trike. Uh, with a trike, you don't have to worry about you know your physical prowess so much. If you've got weak knees or arthritis, a trike's absolutely ideal. So there are some advantages to a trike, but there's disadvantages too. Do you think? Uh, disadvantages to a trike uh, yeah I suppose there would be um, being that it's a bit bigger to transport um, than than just a standalone paramotor uh, mm. potentially uh, but benefits of a, of a trike you know you can launch in pretty much any wind direction favorably yes. obviously into wind but you know you can launch and land yes you know downwind because you haven't got to run off that speed and trikes are getting quite small. And my own trike, you know, I've got the retractor trike, which I had imported from Australia. Um, uh, and it's basically, it's like two stabilizers and then a little front bar that you just add that snap onto your paramotor almost. Uh, it's actually quite light, but you're absolutely right. You know, I I don't have to worry about um, uh, running across a field and getting out of breath or even carrying the weight of that paramotor. Because I don't know about you, but with, with my Nirvana at 32 kilograms without fuel, um, if I've got it on for more than a couple of minutes, if I get a couple of blown launches, uh, I'm done for. You know, I've, I've, I've literally got to lay down. Um, but with a trike, you don't have that issue. Yeah, they, 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 I think they are more difficult to transport. Depends on the size of it. Mine's not because mine's a paramotor. You take the stabilizers off and you can the stabilizers just go in the boot of the car. Bigger trikes, I think, of course, you know, is a bigger challenge, and you can have some huge trikes and even some uh, some trikes that are two seaters. Although I'm not convinced they're legal in the UK at the moment, I'm not hundred percent sure. Uh, depending what license you fly it on, I guess. But there um, there are other issues, aren't there, as well? Speed bar's not as easy to use. You can use speed bar on my retractor because the front wheel retracts in which is why it's called a retractor, to allow you to use the speed bar and things. I think spot landing on a trike is not as easy. You can land with fairly short runoff, uh, but it's it's a lot longer than on your feet. You know, you can, uh, if you're fairly snazzy with the paramotor, you can almost land and take one or two steps and be stopped. Um, you know, with a, with a trike, uh, it run, you know, it has to run off. Um, and if there's a if there's a ditch at the end of the runway, you need to make sure you've you've stopped in plenty of time to steer out of its way. Yeah, or or add or add brakes to it if you've got that, that capability. <laughs> but I know a lot of a lot of trikes don't do they? They just rely on on having the 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 wing sort of in a stall position to yeah, pull you back, slow them down. Yeah, that's right. But but you know, but trikes are fun. Um, you know, it allows fat people like me to fly in, and I always say. You know, I've got a lot of people sort of ask about the sport and, um, you know, because they'd love to do something like that, but they they don't have the physical prowess to be able to do it. But I say, oh, look at a trike. My trike is almost the same thing. It is a paramotor, you know, with these almost these stabilizers on. Um, I can I can even push the wheel under my seat at the front and, and I'm just sat in it like a paramotor. So... Uh, but it does enable people who, um, you know, who might have health issues, weight issues, or even age. You know, if you're um, if you're seventy years old even, and you just don't have the knees anymore to carry you in a paramotor, a trike might be the way to go. 
Yep, it's it's all about getting people in the air, really, isn't it? I suppose at the end of the day, and if a trike enables you to do that, well, welcome to the skies. Um, it's it's pretty much the same thing once you're up there, and and actually having a bit of extra weight with the trike might likely makes you go faster. You know, <laughs> being a bit overloaded on your wing will make you end up being faster. Mate, I'm overloaded enough. I don't need any extra weight from the trike and stuff, but. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, he's got the, the other safety issue. I think you you hit the nail on the head there, which I think is important is the ability to land uh, downwind as well, if if you needed to, you know. And if you had a um, you know a power out uh, fairly short, if you've de- <laughs> if you've decided to, uh, to 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 hang left as you've took off, and then you suddenly get a power out and you can't swing right again and get back on track, you can. You can land downwind or crosswind, so that is, um, you know, an advantage. And in actual fact, you can take off crosswind. But that being said, an experienced paramotor pilot can probably do the same anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit more tricky because you've got to do a bit more more leg work or or have your motor push you as as Chile teaches us to do, so you don't have to do so much work. Um, but I think I'd rather attempt that on a, on a trike than anything else. But if you're forced into that position. Maybe where you're launching from is not not the best place to be launching from. There is something a little bit unnerving, though. I'll have to say because when you when you land in a paramotor, and I've never foot launched, but I have done the paraglider training, as I said, or you know, uh, the, the the training hill training without a motor coming down the hill and landing on your feet. It feels natural to land on your feet because that's what they're there for, and they feel like suitable distance uh, away from you, you know, to sort of take an impact. When you land on a trike, it feels like you're going to land on your ass, you know, and it almost feels like you've got your knees in your chin. <laughs> and, and and I find that quite disconcerting sometimes, thinking I'm coming in ass first here. Oh, yeah, m- must be scary. Uh, the, other, the other thing that I just popped into my mind uh, thinking about trikes is I think because in the UK that then classes them as, as sub-70, and I think we as gliders we're sort of included in that as well. Um I think you need insurance. Is that that correct? Do you know about that, Sean? Um, do you need insurance for for trikes? Uh, the only answer to that is I'm not sure. My belief is that uh, sub seven or sub a certain weight, um, you don't have to have insurance. That being said, though, Daniel, is that I would advise insurance because you look at the price of uh, of a roof or a crop of. Uh, crop of corn for the farmer, you know, if you go down with your paramotor and you set his crops on fire, uh, or if you hit a, you know, a, telegra- a telephone pole or some the roof of somebody's house or anything like that, uh, you could be liable for quite a big bill. You know, you could be talking about, you could even be talking about hundreds of thousands of pounds. So, and I know I've made that a stipulation of anybody who comes to fly to Fat Paramotor HQ that they must have insurance and uh, you know if they're not a um if they don't have the bhpa insurance you know and they have access say for example uh, I, I want to see it to know that they've got it and the reason for that is pure selfish reasons that if something goes wrong and you fly through the roof of my house i know you're going to be able to pay for <laughs> pay to have it fixed i wouldn't be able to pay for any accident that i had with with a paramotor so that's why i'm, I'm covered by insurance but it is a consideration, isn't it? You know, when you buy your paramotor, there is that consideration of of insurance. You know, it's not just a one time buy. You've you've got this these little extras on top. Uh, you might have um, a subscription to a 
magazine like XC Mag, or you might have a subscription to an airfield even to be able to fly fly these paramotors. Obviously, the fuel on top of that as well. So there is that um, consideration when uh, sort of looking at your finances for a paramotor as well. I couldn't agree more. I think insurance. I think insurance is vital. I always have it. I had a whole year of it once, never used it once, but still. And yet paying for club memberships, be part of a club. I, you know, I, I really am a believer in that. I'm I'm a member at Wingling Club. I don't go down there very often, I'll be honest with you. Hoping to go down more this year, Daniel. Uh, but I think it's good to be part of a club. I, I know uh, that I've got membership to be down there at Wingland. I know that I can go down any time. And because of the membership there, uh, it makes me feel like I'm part of a community. So I talk to people also on the Wingland group, you know, on Facebook and things like that. Uh, keeps you connected and then you get the advice uh, and those kind of things. Uh, I think that's um, uh, that's a very definite spend. I think these are uh, some of the things that, that you definitely should be considering when you're, when you're buying a paramotor. It's good to have a community around you, especially when things go wrong because you need someone there to take a photo of you t- turtled in a field or wing <laughs> gift wrapped, you know, yeah. around you when you've landed. Who's going to get the photograph of the turtle if you've not got friends? <laughs> exactly. So. You know, it's it's all part of the experience. We've all had um, mess ups and stuff. So, yeah, being part of a community. And you need somebody to fetch you, mate, don't you, when, you, when you've had an engine out and things like that. So uh, you need a kind soul to come and fetch you, otherwise it's a long walk. And, of course, you need your mates and stuff to photograph you when you're in the air and things like that, you know. Um, otherwise, who's going to get you the photographs for your Facebook vlog, eh? That's it. No photo, no proof. That's the most important thing, isn't it? You know, Most paramotor pilots, like the rest of the world, to know that they're paramotor pilots on Facebook. Have you noticed? It's kind of every, every person who flies a paramotor, or almost every person, has a picture of them in a paramotor as their Facebook cover. Do you know what I'm saying and stuff? It must be the only hobby that where you do that, you know? It's like... I know people post pictures when they do things like ride horses and and things like that, but um, they very rarely have a picture of them sat on a horse on the Facebook profile, but paramotor pilots always do. That's a 10 grand profile picture, that is, mate. You know, (laughs) (laughs) if you're spending that sort of money, you've got to show it off somewhere. That's right. If you've invested in the photo shoot, absolutely. So, yeah. The the other thing I wanted to ask you, mate, is um, this whole thing about... uh, e-start you know electric start versus pull start uh, what's your thoughts on that so i haven't had paramotors that have had both i think it depends on what sort of flying you're doing really i uh, i had a an old solo 210 that i done up as my first paramotor it was a very old machine uh there used to be water pumps actually back in the day um, but there's no way on earth you could pull start that because of just how high the compression was so you had to have an e-start on that machine I mean, pull starts nowadays, I think Polini employ the, the flash start and I think um, Viterazzi do as well, actually, on their, one of their monsters. Um, you know, it makes it very easy to pull start. But if you were going up like Woody does in the States and, and just does acro run after acro run, he, he, he gets up to height, kills his engine, does his acro and then restarts the electric. Having an electric start in that situation is, is quite handy. Um, but I've, I've, I've just had pull start on my motors, um, in the last two that I've had, um, and, and not really had a problem with it. I've j- you just have to get the technique down to start on them first time. And after that, I, I found it quite easy. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I, I think sometimes, you know, the e-start, pull start does depend what you're doing. 
Uh, I like the idea of an e-start, um, but that's because I think my paramotor heat's stopping all the time and it's easy just to be able to uh, uh, to hit the button and start it. And I know some people have had issues starting theirs as well. And uh, when I had my carburetor problems, for example, if I didn't have the e-start to start it with, it would have been a nightmare yanking it and pulling at it all the time. Uh, but the problem with an e-start, though, is it weighs more It weighs more than a full start, doesn't it? That's, you know, you've got to have the battery um, as well as the uh, as the starter unit and things. And um, I bet there's a fair amount of weight in that. They're, you were telling me what they weighed earlier. How much is it? Uh, they, they weigh anywhere sort of between like one to two sort of kg. Uh, it's, I mean, that's not a lot of weight. You know, it's a couple of bags of sugar, but add a few little things like that to your motor and it does end up adding up, doesn't it? It's a couple of litres of fuel. Absolutely, yeah. You know, if you can fit it in, if you haven't already filled your tank up. Yeah, yeah so wait, a bit of a weight consideration there. But uh, I, I've got e-start on mine. I, I do quite like it. I, I, do, I find it convenient. But it's probably because, you know, mine's an older paramotor and it doesn't always seem to start so well on the pull start. Uh, starts really nicely with the electric start. But I think, you know, with these more modern paramotors, as you said, with the flash starts and things like that, it must be much easier. But my worry, though, is it takes you longer to start with a pull start. So if you were sort of, you know, coming down and descending and for some reason you stalled your engine, uh, you've literally got to let go of your brakes. You've got to stow your brakes away. You know, you've got to reach behind, get it pull it, get it started, and then reach for your brakes again. Now, it doesn't take too long for an experienced pilot, but uh, all I have to do if mine stops is just press my thumb. And, you know, you're talking about half a second um, and the paramotor's fired up again. So whether that makes any difference or not to my flying, maybe it's just, you know, a concern that's not valid, being concerned about my paramotor stalling as I come in for land. Um, but you know, that's that's kind of how I feel. So maybe wanting an e-start is more of a reflection of my uh, lack of experience and confidence at the moment. So maybe it's it's not necessary. But I definitely get your point about people doing acro uh, like Woody, who's just climbing, acroing down, uh, starting the the motor up again, climbing up and acroing down and things. I could definitely see uh, how that's useful. I think you make a good point there about. Um saving those few seconds you know that's that's quite a lot of thinking time if you have an engine out um i recently had when i was my first was running in the atom i think it only had between sort of like five and ten hours on it at the time and uh, i had an engine out twice in one flight maybe three times in one flight um but yeah each time i'm lucky enough on the atom you can start it with one arm um but there there you know i it probably took me a good sort of 10 seconds to to get everything you know reprimed and and sorted again so being able to press that button i mean there is a bit of weight in that mate yeah i i do see where you're coming from from that um but hopefully people are flying their paramotors with a, a field in mind where they can glide to um, but it's always that time that you, you, you get caught out is when you'll have your engines out and your problems, eh? Yeah, and I think you're actually right about that thinking time and stuff, you know, when you're thinking, oh, shit, what do I do now? Pressing the button on the uh, start handle is always, it's almost intuitive to me now because I've, I've had it when I've ground handled, you know, I've inflated the wing and then the bloody engine stalled, but it's just been second nature just to press the button and it, it fires straight back up again. So, uh, 
Um, we've even got electric paramotors now. You know, how's the technology going with electric paramotors? I think it's slow, um, simply because we haven't got the battery technology. I believe that's what's holding everyone back. I know that um, PBG Smoke, they're looking into a electric paramotor. I think they're developing their own paramotor and trike as well, I believe. Um, but I think it's literally battery technology that holds them back at the minute. So I think flight times are about 30 minutes, which might be okay for someone buzzing around a field. Um, but you won't be doing any particularly long XCs unless your wing's made of like solar panels. Well, you know, there's technology in that, isn't there? So uh, I've seen uh, solar panel technology going on to flexible, uh, flexible materials. So... Who, who knows? You might be able to coat these wings one day and charge your batteries. But I think my concern of battery, not that I'm an expert at all, but would also be uh, be safety because batteries by and large tend to be relatively safe. But when they do decide to self-destruct, uh, they go quite spectacularly, don't they? They catch fire and things. And I wouldn't like to have um, you know, a huge sort of lithium-ion battery stuck on uh, stuck on my back. Well, well, it was undergoing cold fusion. <laughs> no, I quite agree with you there, mate. I think uh, I'll stick to flammable gas on my back and, or liquid on my back instead. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I will say for battery technology that's going to get pushed, um, hopefully forward, is uh, Sasha Dench's flight around the U- UK. Um, she's um, going to be using an electric paramotor and uh, stopping off at different locations to look at how um, I think it's global warming um, and how the, that's taking effect on the environment. So using an, a bit more of an environmentally friendly approach, if you forget about the mining of the lithium. Yes, and the disposal of the battery. Yes. Uh, yeah, exactly. But hopefully that will push the technology a little bit further with the funding from that as well. Yes. Well, I think all these things, I think they're, they're very useful uh, and very important. And at the moment, battery technology is not the green technology uh, that people think it is. But the whole idea is that uh, it, it has the potential to progress very much in that direction. Uh, and I think all these uh, sort of innovative ideas and things are all part of the process of uh, of, of pushing us along in that direction and, and developing the technology and things. So, so good luck with that. That'll be quite interesting. You know, it, it's an interesting idea to think you can have a paramotor and you could fly it for a few hours, you could land and then open out, you know, sort of a, a foldable solar panel or something that you can carry in your pocket and recharge it again and then uh, then continue flying. There would be a whole new class of uh, cross-country flying, I think. That would blow my mind. I can't wait for it. Hopefully I see it in my lifetime because that sounds absolutely fantastic. You know, even drone technology is pushing things along as well. And their flight times are 30 minutes up from like two two minutes what they used to be. So, you know, there's every chance it could happen one day. So there was another point that I just kind of wanted to close on, Daniel. A big factor, I think, in choosing a paramotor is buying something that some of your mates have. And that often goes on locality. For example, you know, I know you uh, you own a bulldog. And I know some of the guys, you know, who sort of fly in the circles around here, where in, uh, in Lincoln, well, I'm in Lincolnshire, um, a few of the guys, they all fly the bulldog because the bulldog was, was designed and um, is made locally. And one of the issues with that, or one of the good points about that, is that 
if there's several of the people that have the same paramotor, you've got that kind of support. You have that local expertise, you know, uh, um, amongst the community. People can tell you how to set up the carburetor better or what the better settings are or how to repair something that goes wrong. Or, or even if you have something fall out of your carburetor when you're flying, somebody might have it in the car or something like that. So um, that can be useful. And, and I give the example of, uh, you know, paramotor like the air conception. Now, when you watch a lot of the guys in America, air conception's big in the United States, um, you know, as is people like Black Hawk and such like that. But you don't see those paramotors quite as commonly here in the UK. I've never seen a Black Hawk in the UK, although I'm sure there will be. Uh, and I've never seen an air conception in the UK. But I know that, you know, there are people that, that do have them. So I'm not saying they don't exist. But they're not local in our area. Now, in the United States, you know, an air conception's a great paramotor to buy because you can guarantee there's two or three guys all in the locality have the same paramotor. Uh, and you kind of get that that brand aware support, uh, but if you buy something that nobody else has got, I think you've got less support there. So I tend to want to gravitate towards buying something uh, that a lot of the local pilots are flying because you you kind of get that um, you know that local knowledge of that particular paramotor. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, you can you can feed off their experiences as well. Um, you know, it says a lot for a brand when it's actually your mates flying it rather than someone who might be sponsored by um, that 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 paramotor brand. They can give you their honest opinion, and a lot of people will probably cover up the fact that they're flying the best paramotor because they've spent quite a lot of money on it. Um, but you know, you can get a much more truthful um, representation of that actual paramotor if the people locally around you are flying it. And there's also way in, if several are flying the same paramotor, uh, chances are it's, it's probably a good paramotor. No, I'd agree with that, definitely. And uh, and it's nice to see as well, I remember when some of the guys flew into Fat Paramotor HQ, uh, you were one of them, there they were several bulldogs there and it was kind of nice to see them uh, all together. It was quite interesting. So... I think that's a consideration. I think definitely if you're going to buy a paramotor, buy a brand where you've got local support, not just from a dealer, but also maybe, you know, where there's a, there's a few other people who have got the experience with them uh, and, and the knowledge and can give you some, some honest feedback and ask other pilots that own them as well. Um, you know, there is a little bit of bias, as you mentioned. You know, there's a lot of people that think the best paramotor in the world is the one that they own until they own the next one and stuff. But but you also do get some honest feedback. You know, what do you like about your paramotor? What do you think's good about it? What do you think's bad? So I think the upshot of that then is I think there is some value to uh, investing in a paramotor that other people own in the local area. Um, I think that's a point not a lot of people make. But anyway. Listen, Daniel, it's been absolutely fantastic to talk to you again. I think we need to, to wrap it up here. Uh, don't forget, people who are listening, thank you for joining the podcast. Um, if anybody feels like joining us as a guest sometime, then drop me a line and, and let me know. It'd be nice to uh, to hear some other voices on here. I'm Sean. You've been listening to uh, to me, Fat Paramotor Guy, and Daniel Jones. It's been an absolute pleasure to bring the podcast to you tonight so i am the fat paramotor guy this was the fat paramotor podcast 
And you have been listening to me, Fat Promoter Guy, Sean, Sean Favel, and the Whippersnapper, Daniel Jones. Take care, everybody, and we'll see you in the next podcast. Pleasure as always, Sean. See you all next time. See you next time.